Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Lubert. If you would like to contact me, you sure can. I have all my contact links, including the listener hotline number, 303-832-0217 in the description of this show. Today we are talking roundabouts. Uh, Why are we talking roundabouts? Because... I have a couple of interviews lined up for you today, including uh, one from Carmel, Indiana, the home of the, it must be the world's largest, or at least definitely in the United States, city with the most number of roundabouts. And we'll talk about that and how it's working for Carmel, Indiana, coming up in just a minute. Uh, but first, uh, there is news happening here in Colorado about roundabouts. The state legislative session runs for the first four or five months of the year. And every year there are some interesting transportation bills that are presented. Now, this year there is House Bill 23-1014, and it regards yielding the right-of-way to a large vehicle in a roundabout. And any day I get to talk about roundabouts on the show is a good day. So I invited the House bill sponsor to come on the show and talk about it. Democrat Representative Andrew Basenicker represents Colorado's 53rd district in Larimer County. Andrew, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, so we're going to talk about the specifics of the bill in just a second. Your district covers downtown Fort Collins as well as northeast and southwest of downtown Fort Collins. And I looked around the district, and I didn't see any major roundabouts. Are are there some that I'm missing there in the district? No, not really too many in my part of town. You know, there's a couple, and especially as Fort Collins um, sort of reimagines our ways of getting through town, um, you'll see those more and more. But it, uh, there aren't a, a, a large amount of them in Fort Collins at present. Yeah, there's that major one right there at uh, 287 and 54G. I mean, that's a major one that went through a major uh, reconstruction. Uh, but that's one of the larger roundabouts, not the smaller ones. That's right. Yeah. And we have some smaller ones uh, about Vine and Taft um, in uh, north, uh, northwest Fort Collins. Um, but, you know, they're, they're more and more common as um, cities evolve and traffic patterns evolve as well. And, you know, I think people in general are either really happy about roundabouts, they either really like them, they're uh, excited about them, or they really, really don't like them and get a little bit nervous trying to go through a roundabout. Are you on team roundabout or not? You know, I'm on team safety, which means that however we navigate these things, we need to be able to do it safe, uh, safely and with good clarity about what's expected of us in the roadways. Oh, perfect. Do you, um, do you, do you like going through them? Are you, are you hesitant about going through them ever? No, not at all. I mean, they work well in our parts of town and certainly, you know, different, every community has its needs and that's really important. But uh, at least in Fort Collins and Northern Colorado, I think they do represent a a really unique and uh, efficient way to navigate some difficult traffic situations. My guest today is Representative Andrew Basenicker. Uh, We're talking about roundabouts and specifically uh, your bill. And And I was looking at the text of your bill and it says that it would require a driver to yield the right of way to a driver of a vehicle having a total length of at least 40 feet or a total width of at least 10 feet. Now, we're basically talking about a semi-truck, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, that's what largely comes to mind. It could also be a large emergency vehicle that's trying to navigate the, navigate that space. Of course, some agricultural uh, equipment might fit the bill there as well, but it's largely motor carriers, our semi-truck drivers that um, have had concerns here. 
And, and have you been caught in that scenario or somebody else has told you about that scenario where you're in a roundabout and here comes a big truck and, and people aren't, aren't letting them in or letting them through? You know, what most often happens is that that large vehicle will already be in the roundabout and another vehicle just isn't aware of how a trailer can travel inside of those spaces right across a multi-lane roundabout. And so you'll have a vehicle get next to or even inside of that semi-trailer and it creates a really dangerous situation for folks. So, you know, common sense is often a great way to go with these situations, but it has been a need to clarify that, you know, at least this bill would clarify that the, the folks need to yield the right of way to those vehicles. Why do we need to put this requirement in law? Don't you think that most drivers who are already in a, in a roundabout or about to go through there would yield to a large truck knowing that, well, large trucks probably are going to be more dangerous to me than I am to, to them? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, we always like to err on the side of common sense and ensuring that folks have the opportunity to do the right thing. In this instance, though, there have been concerns from our Motor Carrier Association in particular, where folks have not had that same lens in terms of common sense or either understanding the way that those vehicles need to navigate the roundabout. So it's a really simple fix to statute that hopefully creates a safer driving environment for people on our roads. Have you heard from some of the semi-trucks? I know that I have talked to the Motor Carriers Association uh, Greg Fulton over there in the past about issues like this. Have you heard from them and, and what their concerns are in these situations? Yeah, so this bill actually comes out of our Transportation Legislation Review Committee, which is an interim committee that meets uh, in between session. And this is where the motor carriers brought the concern to that committee. And as a result of hearing some of the instances that their drivers are facing and what I would understand to be just a common sense fix to those problems, I was pleased to jump on board. Oh, good. Uh, you know, the likelihood of law enforcement seeing this actually happen is probably slim to never. It's the same as I'm driving down the highway. Today was a perfect example where law enforcement is not around when I want them around because I saw somebody driving with an expired temporary tag from April of last year. And so you never see a police officer when you want them there. So is this basically a, a, a law that might help after a fact, after an incident, or determine fault of a driver if there is an incident in a roundabout? I think it could play out in that way. But of course, we want to really be proactive and make sure that Colorado drivers know what the law is and not be placed in some sort of precarious situation as a result. So that's where I think education and conversations like this are helpful, right? When you see a large truck entering one of these roundabouts, um, you know, I would hope even outside of the law that you would choose to let them uh, navigate that safely. And of course, this law clarifies that. Right. Yeah. It, it's just it's frustrating when uh, I think the average citizen sees something that that should be ticketed or or, you know, improved upon whatever the case may be. And, and there's nobody around to help <laughs> help that person out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And certainly law enforcement have been a, a good partner in this conversation as well. And, and we just understand this to be one of those things that we can do to make sure that, you know, quite frankly, everybody can get where they need to go safely and hopefully our motor carriers included. So My guest is uh, State Representative Andrew Basinicker. We're talking about roundabouts, his roundabout bill that's in the Colorado legislature. You can read all about it in the description of this show. Why 40 feet and not, let's say, 25 feet. Uh, a U-Haul moving truck is uh, smaller, obviously, but still might need some extra room and and might need a little bit extra in maneuverability in in a in a roundabout, uh, especially in a college town like Fort Collins, where you have so many kids every year moving in and out. 
Yeah, so we really did rely on conversations with our stakeholders, including the motor carriers, to determine that 40-foot threshold. It's been passed in other states as well. I believe Wisconsin has also passed a similar measure. So we always look at what's worked elsewhere in terms of, you know, that baseline for safety and navigating the roundabout situation and then seeing what uh, feels appropriate for Colorado. What are the chances? I know your bill is going to be coming up here in committee. That's where it goes first. And what are the chances your bill is going to make it out of committee? What are the uh, folks that are in the committee talking about and, and saying about your bill? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've had a lot of good conversations with members. I mean, roundabouts, as you know, is a very interesting and um, engaging space to work in public policy. Um, we've also had good conversations with some engineers as well who have suggested some tweaks in the language in order to clarify that for drivers on the roadway. Um, I'm feeling great about how the bill is at present. I think it'll be even better as amended, and we're very hopeful it'll be on the House floor soon. And that's what your goal is, to get to the House floor. And then you already have a uh, sponsor for the Senate. And is that person ready to uh, take that baton over to the Senate and then try to get it through that committee? Absolutely. Uh, Senator Winter is a great partner in this space and also serves as the chair of our Transportation Legislation Review Committee. So we're looking forward to that partnership and making sure the bill makes it through the process. Have you talked to the governor about this? So let's say you do make it all the way through the House, through the Senate. You're ready to uh, pass this bill and send it off to the governor's desk. Uh, would, Would he sign it? So we have no indication that the governor wouldn't support the bill. We work closely with state agencies that then often check in with the governor on policy like this. Um, There's no stated concerns on that end, but of course we always remain open to feedback. Right. Uh, Have you talked to the state patrol about how they might enforce it, what their thoughts are with these uh, large trucks going through a roundabout? As you said, so many are now, especially up there in Larimer County with I-25 being reconstructed and, and a lot of the bridges have been reconstructed with roundabouts up there. Yeah, it's really interesting to see all that play out. And we've had um, sort of a perpetual state of construction on North I-25 <laughs> right. that um, does have an end in sight. And we've been very pleased about how um, that's going to look. Um, state Patrol has been engaged in the process as well. I mean, we really um, make sure that whenever we run a bill, we engage the stakeholders that have a vested interest, either from a policy standpoint or from an enforcement standpoint. Well, that's, that's uh, pretty interesting. Another interesting, uh, taking a whole left turn here or, or going around the roundabout a couple of times, next week the Transportation Committee is going to be discussing a bill introduced by Representative uh, Weinberg regarding the creation of a feasibility study uh, by the State Patrol Department of Transportation to see if permitting motorcycle lane splitting is a good or a bad idea. I, I'm I'm going to talk to him hopefully about this uh, next week. But while I have you here, do you do you have any initial thoughts about motorcycle lane splitting? Well, I think uh, good policy always comes from good data. So I'm glad to see that it's a study bill. I know this has been a topic of interest for several years now. You know, as someone who commutes back and forth from Fort Collins to Denver daily, um, it is concerning to me um, from a safety standpoint, right? We want to make sure that everybody who's on those roadways is safe. So whether or not the policy or the study will support a change in statute um, remains to be seen. But I'm really looking forward to the conversation because I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, I do too, especially when you see people from California, where it's legal there, coming here and then saying, why isn't it legal? And the motorcyclists say that it's safer for them, uh, maybe not again at highway speeds while you're driving at 75 miles an hour, but maybe more in stop and go traffic. And so it will be interesting, I think, to see what maybe the de- the, the State Patrol and the, and, and the Department of Transportation, it might be coming from two different uh, sides of the uh, of the issue and, and, and join that together. I think it'd be really interesting to see what they come up with. 
No, I completely agree. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. And, uh, you know, again, I think safety is paramount here, right? We want everyone to get to their destination safely. And uh, hopefully we can achieve that through some of these bills. Do you have any other interesting uh, transportation bills that are uh, on your mind that maybe even haven't made it to uh, to the pen yet? Or or do you have some that are you're, you're planning to introduce soon? No, this is my only bill in the uh, in the transportation space. Of course, um, we're going to be talking a lot about housing in that committee as well. So we'll see a variety of bills, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting this one through committee. Excellent. Well, if I ever could, I, I'm not eligible to uh, even do any kind of thing politically because of my, what my job is. But I would hope that if I ever made it up to the state house or, or in the Senate, I, I would be able to be on a transportation committee because I think I have something to offer. I believe you do, too, and I certainly appreciate the chance to share a little bit about what I've been working on. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Andrew Basinicker. Thanks for all your insights and, and your information. Best of luck. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. I did put a link to the bill in the description of this show, so you can just click that if you do want to read it. Uh, I also asked Andrew if he was on or not on Team Roundabout. See, I'm I'm definitely on Team Roundabout. For, for many reasons, most notably that they keep traffic moving. I, I think the best way to reduce traffic delays is to keep traffic flowing and reduce the number of traffic lights, stop signs, and roundabouts accomplish that. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration released some information saying that the traffic fatalities in the United States last year reached their highest level since 2005. Among the cities bucking that grisly trend is Carmel, Indiana, and the city's seven-term mayor, Jim Brainerd. Jim says the answer can be found in the more than 140 roundabouts the city has installed, replacing all but a few of the city's traffic lights and four-way stop signs. To talk more about his passion for roundabouts, why they're safer, the pros and some cons about roundabouts, is the mayor of Carmel, Indiana. Mayor James Brainerd. Mayor, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. It's great to be with you. Before we get into the details about the specific advantages of roundabouts, how did you become interested in this idea? Was <laughs> well, well, I mean, it had to be well before you were mayor, right? Was was there some kind of a spark that, that hit you that goes, roundabouts are the answer? Well, when I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to spend some time in England, and I saw them in use there. And I was a history major and a lawyer. I knew nothing about civil engineering. But then I became mayor in 1996 and uh, suddenly started to study these things. I asked lots of questions of our uh, civil engineers. They were not familiar with them. We found some articles uh, and decided to try some. I, I just by observation, you can see they're more efficient, which means you don't have to widen the lane. So many times I think the civil engineers answer to congestion you know they get a call from a mayor or a city council member we, there's a problem we got to do something they widen lanes and all they're doing is building a bigger parking lot to get more cars through the green cycle of the light and with a roundabout that moves 50 percent more cars per hour you don't have to add all those lanes and we'll talk more in specifics about how these are working for your town and some of the advantages. Do you remember, you said you, you were in Europe. Do you, do you remember your first roundabout and what that experience was like? Well, I was in a friend's uh, car. I think we were driving, you know, of course, driving the wrong side of the road, but he was from France. So the steering wheel was on the wrong side for England. But we went through some roundabouts. And thought, these are pretty cool. They work well. 
Did you ever have trouble or your friend at that point driving through them ever have trouble navigating them? No, not at all. You know, I think most accidents are caused by, you know, serious accidents, particularly pedestrian accidents or result of speeds. And we've built roads in the United States for years, the bigger and the faster, the better. And we probably need to rethink that, uh, particularly in our urban areas. And as you said, when when you became mayor, you were thinking, all right, maybe roundabouts are a way to get people to slow down. I've always said if you make people feel uh, uncomfortable while they're driving in, in on, a, on a road that's narrow or where they have to navigate certain turns and then, then they'll naturally slow down and you don't have to worry about speed limits and, and, and enforcing speed limits. So what was the reaction when you came to the city council and said, hey, I have this great idea for our town and how we can change the way drivers behave? Well, we were building a new road in a yet then undeveloped area of the city. And under our system, I'm in essence, a city manager in Indiana, uh, Colorado has a system of city managers, but the elected mayors uh, fill that role here. And so we just, I informed the city council, but we just uh, put two roundabouts on this new road and people really didn't see it in, until it opened because it was in an undeveloped area and people liked it. We couldn't take out a roundabout today if we wanted to, uh, communities really embrace them, uh, they like the fact it moves traffic better. They like the fact they look better. And most importantly, I think they like the fact that it was so much safer. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd. He's the mayor of Carmel, Indiana. We're talking about roundabouts and how many they have in his town. Uh, do you think education was a key component of the first roundabouts that were starting to be installed there in Carmel was, was that an issue for you to try to get people to learn how to use them when they had never seen them before? Absolutely. And our city was a lot smaller then. So I found a uh, videotape from a city in England that told people how to use them. Of course, you're going in the wrong way, but all the other uh, principles are correct. And so we actually put those on our government access television channel and, and use those until we had our own materials made public. We'd use print materials, we had art, you know, evergreen articles or articles that could be used with slow times in the newspapers and magazines. And we really worked hard at public education, a lot of one-on-ones at neighborhood association meetings and, and, uh, the community, uh, listened and embraced them and is very excited today, I think, to be considered the roundabout capital of the United States. But but back then, there had to be some pushback, I would imagine, from some folks that were, especially maybe the older drivers, that said, what are you doing with this newfangled <laughs> way? I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, there had to be some pushback. There was, of course, pushback. Anytime, you know, government makes a decision and a, uh, a, represent, a form of representative government like this, there are going to be people that disagree, but that's the beauty of our system. Uh, we, uh, fortunately, a majority of the people, uh, uh, listened and, and, uh, paid attention and analyzed the data themselves that, uh, were provided and, and, uh, have been very positive about the initiative. Speaking of the data, let's, let's talk about some of those numbers and how much lower are the numbers of crashes in the past, let's say 10 and 15 years since you've started installing the roundabouts and, and folks have been getting used to them? Well, our city has grown from 20,000 people to over 100,000 people. So we have benchmarked against national averages and averages of fatalities from other cities in our state of Indiana. Uh, the national 
average of traffic fatalities in the United States is between 11 and 12 per 100,000 per year. In other words, 11 to 12 people out of every 100,000 die in traffic fatalities every year in the United States. That's the national average. Uh, our five-year trailing average is two fatalities per 100,000, roughly one between one-fifth and one-sixth of the national average. And we uh, attribute that to our roundabout program. It's all about speed and everybody has to slow down. You know, human error rate doesn't change that much, but it's, it's the type of accident you get. And at the roundabouts, we get slow speed accidents at a stoplight when that human error rate kicks in. You know, I joke when I talk to audience sometimes that anybody in this audience ever speed up to go through a yellow light? Of course not. Uh, of course, we've all done it. We know we've all done it. We speed up when we see a green light before it turns yellow. We speed up to go through a pink light. We all do this. So if it was one out of every 100,000. You know, there's an accident. That accident can be very serious because somebody has just gunned their car. At the roundabout, everyone has to slow down. And because of slower speeds, there's more response time. The roundabout, when built correctly, you're angled as you go into the roundabout and angled as you go out of the roundabout. So the crash, if there is one, tends to be a uh, side swipe, not a T-bone type of accident. How are these roundabouts, as I'm speaking with Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana, how are they safer for pedestrians than a signalized intersection that forces drivers to stop before a pedestrian starts walking across the street because in a roundabout you have to wait for a driver to see you and then stop and pay attention before you cross the road and while you're crossing the street could could it be more difficult for an elderly person or or any pedestrian to try to cross on a roundabout than in a signalized intersection where they are, are, are have to stop at the red light well the data shows us that roundabouts are safer for everyone, drivers and pedestrians. The, the difference is, again, speed. Uh, there's a false sense of safety, I think, in the crosswalk at a traffic light. Uh, I've taught myself when I'm in a different setting at a traffic light, I look to make sure the cars that are coming towards that intersection actually stop. If someone's texting or not paying attention and blows through that crosswalk at a high rate of speed, the chances that pedestrians surviving are very low at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. At 30 miles, is a little bit uh, higher chance to survive on. It gets better as the speeds go down. At a roundabout, everyone, again, that's driving a car or a truck has to slow down. And there's another advantage, too. There's that little island. Uh, you know, the, the uh, pedestrian crosswalk in a roundabout is always one car length back from the entrance to the circle. And there's a little triangular island, so you only have to look one way, look in one direction, walk out to the island, which is sort of a place of refuge, and then look in the opposite direction to cross the other half of the street. But uh, the data that we see and the data that we've obtained uh, show that roundabouts, because of speeds, I believe, are safer than, uh, than crosswalks that signalize intersections. For me as a pedestrian, I've always found it a bit more challenging. As you know, roundabouts are great for keeping traffic flowing, and I think drivers 
maybe aren't used to seeing pedestrians all the time at certain areas and and they're they're, they're more used to seeing traffic flow and so the, the, it throws them off and then therefore it could be a little bit more dangerous for a pedestrian trying to cross the street I, I think it's more unsettling but having both sides pay attention is probably a good thing which is why our uh, we just haven't had fatalities at all at our uh, roundabout crossings. I, and I think, too, you know, in our heavily pedestrianized areas, we're doing a lot with signage, race, uh, crosswalks, so that speeds are forced down even more. And people that regularly drive those streets know they have to really slow down uh, because of those uh, race crosswalks. Uh, but, but it's working for us. It's working the pedestrian areas and we're trying to get people to, even though it's not the law, we're trying to encourage people and they see somebody standing at the side waiting to cross to stop, let them cross. Right. That's a law in Colorado where you do see somebody standing wanting to cross, even without any lights or anything flashing you. The state law is to stop, let the person cross, no matter what uh, the roadway is there. I agree with that. That's not our law here. I wish it were. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana. We're talking about roundabouts. In my last episode, I, I was speaking to Dr. Kelsey Ralph, and she's from Rutgers University. She studies transportation uh, there for Rutgers. And, and I mentioned to her that I was going to be speaking to you, and, and she asserts that roundabouts, even though she's a fan of them, increases the number of crashes overall, even as they reduce the number of serious crashes. What do you say to her assertion? the data doesn't support that assertion. Now in certain intersections, we've had some issues where we've had to make some adjustments as we saw crash rates go up, but overall, uh, and these are national statistics as well, there's about a 70% decrease in overall crashes at roundabouts as contrasted to uh, signalized intersections. I always preach that one way to make drivers safer is to reduce or eliminate conflict points. And that also helps keep traffic flowing. So that's basically what you're doing. These roundabouts are just basically eliminating a lot of these conflict points that could cause problems. Well, that's a very astute observation. A roundabout has eight conflict points, assuming it's a four-way roundabout, going in, going out from all four directions. A a traffic light with a left-hand turn uh, lanes and motions, which is the most dangerous movement on a road in the United States, has 32 conflict points. So one quarter the amount of conflict points in a roundabout as contrasted uh, to a signalized intersection. Uh, and that's one of the great advantages. So all of these safer roads then in your town must translate to then lower insurance costs for all of your residents, right? Yes, I believe they do. Uh, most of it, of course, depends on the insurance company. Some look at it statewide, but others, I think, look at it by zip code. And in that sort of analysis, we fare very, very well. And you are just on the north side of Indianapolis, where they do not have as many roundabouts. So there must be some conflict between the folks that might be coming from there to Carmel uh, and, and using the roundabouts. And then maybe is it conversely where the folks from Carmel are going to Indianapolis to shop or to go to work? And they're, oh, we wish that there were so <laughs> we wish you in Indianapolis had had what we have in Carmel. Yes, I you know, we have 150 corporate headquarters in Carmel. So we have a lot of commuters coming in from Indianapolis and other cities in the central Indiana uh, region. And, and so we also have 
uh, quite a few large health medical facilities in Carmel. And so sometimes we see drivers from other places. You can almost tell they're very hesitant as they go into the roundabouts and they glass in the license plate. And there's a numbering system. You can see which county they're from. And you see the differences when people are not familiar with them. But what we find is that people have used a roundabout three or four times. They get very comfortable with it. The first time, I think, is it's different. And, and so uh, there is a bit of a learning curve there. But are they only good for a smaller size town like yours? At some point, the traffic volume of a specific street, a larger street, probably makes them too challenging to use, right? Well, I think what we've done, uh, you can Google it and see it's called Keystone Parkway in Carmel. It's a high-speed road with tens of thousands of cars per day. In uh, US 31, which is a state highway in uh, uh, Carmel, We've, we've gone to a system of roundabout interchanges. Whether it's a signalized intersection or a roundabout intersection, at some point when the traffic volume gets to a certain point, you need to separate the grade of the two highways uh, for safety uh, and convenience, I think. So what we've done, we've lowered uh, the one street and, and raised the other one with bridges or going underground. And then as you get off, it's like a thing about it, like an interstate interchange. As you get off, instead of coming to a stoplight, you come to a roundabout. And those are roundabout interchanges, and they've worked very well on our high-speed roads. As I'm looking at that, coming off of, uh, as you said, the Keystone uh, Parkway, you're just rolling down Carmel Drive, and you really don't see another traffic light until you get over to, uh, if you're heading west, to, what, Range Line Road, right? Well... Uh, you're, that's old aerial photography because that one got replaced just recently. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> you're, you're going, you're moving faster than Google, uh, Skyview. We are. We are. <laughs> Can you quantify the savings in electricity and maintenance and labor by not having signalized intersections throughout most of the city? Of course, it depends on your electricity rates, but generally speaking, even with LED lights, uh, traffic lights are big energy hogs that, you know, they run 24 seven and it has to have to be very powerful lights. So it's at least two or $3,000 a year per light that's being saved when there's electrical storm and the electricity goes off, the roundabouts continue to function. Traffic lights don't, uh, you know, the other thing about a traffic light, it costs about 400,000 today to put one in. Um, it's a nice traffic light with pedestrian signals and so on, but they're still very expensive. And that light's going to last 20 to 25 years and have to be replaced. And every few months, you're going to have to send a traffic engineer to that light, open up that box and adjust the timing. There's a lot of maintenance uh, to a traffic light. Uh, so the roundabouts are much less expensive to uh, maintain. Now, installation, if you're switching from a roundabout, uh, excuse me, from a four-way stop, uh, a roundabout's always going to be less expensive than a traffic light because you don't have the expense of the light. Um, on the other hand, if you're taking out a traffic light and putting in a roundabout, there's substantial cost there. Yeah, because the overall construction of the roundabout must be different than the traditional signalized intersection without all that equipment the labor of the putting up the poles and the signals and the junction boxes. Uh, and, and do, do they also take longer or a shorter amount of time to build 
talk me through the uh, process of changing either a signalized intersection to a roundabout or just creating one and uh, what that process, the construction process is like. Well, I think it's probably similar in that case. Uh, you know, the key is if there's businesses in the area, I like to close the road and get it done as quickly as possible. I'd rather have pain, you know, <laughs> people having to detour for a few weeks other than having it stretched out and do it one section at a time. Uh, that's always an issue whenever you do construction work. I, you know, the amount of time is probably about the same. But, uh, you know, the amount of pavement that you use in uh, a roundabout versus a, a signalized intersection with turn lanes is roughly the same. Might be 5% more with the roundabout. You know, each one's different where the in, each intersection is different regardless of it, whether it's a, a signal or roundabout. You have underground utilities that sometimes have to be moved. Uh, land has to be acquired. So each situation is different. But I was consulting with, with a uh, city in, uh, well, I can say here it is, California. They, they wanted to add a roundabout in one city, and I offered to help. They asked me to help them, and it took them three years to get that roundabout built. We try to get ours done in 45 days. So it depends on how the contract is bid and uh, that sort of thing as well. So other cities are then now following your lead and taking your example and, and trying to expand it into their uh, municipalities. Yeah, I think the safety statistics are really being paid attention to by traffic engineers across the United States. And there's a large movement today to uh, add roundabouts uh, when funding's available to do so. And here's another point that I, I'd like to make to your listeners. We talk about the cost, say, converting a traffic light to a around about maybe a million or two dollars a lot of money but yet the gas that's saved by not idling and not starting that big heavy vehicle from zero remember physics class when it takes more energy to go from zero to 15 miles per hour than it does from 15 to 30 most people don't have to come to a complete stop at the roundabout most of the time so there's tremendous gasoline savings not only is that better for the environment it saves the public millions of dollars every year per roundabout. Is there a way for you to quantify that? I mean, do you really think that there has been a large um, savings of gasoline where you're not maybe selling as much gasoline in Carmel and th then maybe the city is is uh, lo uh, losing out on some of that tax revenue? <laughs> well, that goes to the state, so that's not my <laughs> I'm joking. But, <laughs> you know, I'm glad to lose out on that tax revenue because we—, we it's healthier for people not having those fumes. Uh, the amount of carbon going in the atmosphere that is reduced, that's a good thing. You know, much of our gas comes from other places, so that balance, it helps to balance the trade. There's all sorts of reasons why we need to cut down our fossil fuel use, in, in my opinion. But uh, New York Times did a story uh, last November 21st, front page, talking about Carmel, Indiana, and about the amount of carbon that is saved per roundabout. And it has been quantified, and it explains very nicely in that article. My guest is Mayor James Brainerd of Carmel, Indiana. We're speaking about roundabouts. You also have uh, a really a roundabout festivals there, roundabout week, <laughs> uh, roundabout parties and celebrations. Tell me why you have a roundabout week and, and what happens during that week. We even had a roundabout conference where we had civil engineers from all over North America come to say our roundabouts. 
Uh, roundabout Week is just fun. The community gets to celebrate our roundabouts. It's an opportunity for us to do some public education and and re, you know make the data available to people so they can uh, new people move in and are curious about why we're building so many roundabouts. And it's an opportunity to celebrate what we've done and provide uh, additional public information. And, and what else do you, do you have? Uh, bands that play in the roundabout? Do you have uh, people, you know, <laughs> giving out cupcakes, or you know, some of the kids that are are, are selling lemonade for a dollar and that sort of thing? We do all those things. We don't put anybody. We don't encourage pedestrians to go in the roundabout in the middle, but we do it off to the side. We so, have a lot of fun with it. And so they they've almost become a tourist attraction. I think some people have actually come here to see the roundabouts. Uh, we uh, do a lot of things that uh, encourage people to come to our city, and and the roundabouts are always a bit of a curiosity, I believe. And, and aren't some of them, as I as I've been reading, uh, decorated in some ways? Either they have artwork or they have other kind of special design features. Well, we're trying to either landscape our roundabouts with flowers and trees to make them beautiful. You know, all cities, you know, cities should be beautiful places. Um, and then about 10% of our roundabouts, we have um, commissioned artists to put large sculptures in the middle of the roundabouts. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I can't see across the roundabout now and see who's coming. I say, that's right. We actually find the roundabouts flow better if there is something in the middle. And it forces people to look to the left for the gap in traffic, which is what they're supposed to be doing, not looking all the way across the roundabout. What other lessons have you, you and your engineers learned since putting in these roundabouts? Have there been some uh, unique, interesting things that you, you all have learned that you have then instituted in other roundabouts? Well, I, I think that's one of them, is that building up those middles uh, to, to encourage people just to look to the left for the gap is important. That roundabouts are also great places uh, for public art for beautiful landscaping to make the community look nice. You know, I don't think anybody's ever sat there and admired the look of a traffic light, <laughs> but we do have people that come and admire the public sculptures in, in our circles. And that's one way to, uh, you know, we don't have the mountains that uh, you do just west of Denver and we don't have uh, oceans uh, here. And, and so we have to do everything we can to make our city a beautiful place for the people that live and work here. That's how we compete uh, uh, for jobs and economic development. Uh, beautiful cities are important, particularly for people that don't have the money to travel to beautiful places across the globe. Everybody deserves to live in a city that's beautiful. And putting beautiful things around about is one way we do that. Speaking of jobs, are your traffic engineers bored? Uh, only only working on roundabouts, not really doing oh, no, any other interesting intersections. Uh, we, we do. We we're not afraid to try new things if we think there's a better solution out there. And you think about it. We've been designing cities for thousands of years, but we've only been designing cities with cars in them. You know, we didn't get over twenty five percent car ownership until after World War II. So it's only been about seventy five years since uh, we started designing cities for motor vehicles. And and so we've made a lot of mistakes, and so we're always willing to try new things if we think it can improve traffic flow and safety. 
Well, ancient Rome, they were brilliant about the way they built roads, mostly to move large armies from one place to another, but they were uh, brilliant at the roads that they created. They were, and I've used that many times when I talk with people in the public. I said, you know, the Romans had it figured out. They knew that to run a successful country, they had to be able to move goods and people efficiently and safely. And that's what the Roman roads did. Do you have any uh, t-shirts like uh, I'm, you know, pro roundabout t-shirts or, or any fun t-shirts that uh, have roundabout pictures on them? We have. In fact, you can go to the <laughs> website of the All Things Carmel store and buy all sorts of roundabout uh, memorabilia, including t-shirts that say, I love roundabouts. And does that money go back to the, uh, to the city and help out other people? Exactly. It's it's a not-for-profit store that uh, sells things that uh, people who live in or visit Carmel might want to buy. Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I said at the, at the start of this that you were in your seventh four-year term. You going to run for an eighth? Yes, I am. All right. When's the end? I, I don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> there's still a lot to do. We've got a great team of talented people here at City Hall, uh, and it's fun. You know, not many, you know, this is a community effort, just not our administration, but how many communities get to build a brand new city? And that's what we've been able to do here. A city that was 20,000 people 27 years ago and today is over 100,000 people. That not only is a lot of fun, it's a great responsibility. And and we want to try to continue shaping and, and building one of the great uh, cities in the United States. And do you think maybe the roundabouts have been a little bit of a, uh, a, a contributing factor to having people wanting to move to Carmel? I think so. I think that's one thing along. We, we focus on making our streets beautiful. One thing we did, you might find interesting, uh, golden Colorado did this as well. A few years ago, we put, uh, one of our major roads on what I called a road diet. We took a five lane road with a center, left-hand turn lane and because and took out all the stoplights because the roundabouts move so much more traffic per hour than a traffic light 50 percent more we were able to get rid of one lane each direction and because we had roundabouts people just go to the next roundabout go around the roundabout and do a u-turn we, we got rid of that middle turn lane and put in a median with flowers and trees um we put public art in the uh, in the circles, uh, added a bike lane. And so it's a much, you know, there's a tree canopy now growing over the street. It helps with the heat island impact of a street. Uh, it's a much more beautiful street, uh, but it's moving 8% more cars per hour than it did when we had stoplights. That's with three fewer lanes. Well, as, as such an advocate of uh, roundabouts, I think you should maybe get some kind of a finder's fee of a couple of percent every time <laughs> another city uh, co- contacts you for help. With, with- I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Mayor, I appreciate your time very much. Well, it's great to be with you. And if you ever get to this part of Indiana, please give me a call. I'd love to drive you around and show you some roundabouts. Perfect. Yeah. Roundabout I'll, art. I'll be, I'll be there two hours away in, in the mid of the midsummer with my uh, baton twirling girl. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> look forward to it. Mayor James Brainerd. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here and all your time. Great. Bye Jason. So after hearing that, are you uh, on team roundabout or not on team roundabout? That remains the question. You can always let me know and 
the description of this show is all my contact links. You can just say pro roundabout or team roundabout or not <laughs> anti roundabout. Uh, you can also leave a message on the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. Thanks for being here as always. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>